I'm sure oh, yeah. she's going to be like, you did it now, bitch. But like, I all I did was be gay and and live. <laughs> and then once you were persecuted for that, then say I'd it. Say it, yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under Our Roof, the podcast where you can expect the unexpected. You can expect nothing except for a weekly rollout. Well, we always give something. Right, but I mean expect nothing consistent. Expect nothing coherent. Expect nothing simple or predictable. Expect Nothing of quality, expect no, everything of quantity. I don't like that. Okay. I disagree. Well, what do you say? I think, yes, it's a-traditional, and sometimes it's all over the place, but I don't think you should say, expect nothing of quality. Expect a cease and desist, eventually, <laughs> from some sort of a streaming platform when they find out how much we use unlicensed music and video clips. But today... We're using all licensed wow. and approved She's music. legal. We yeah. are not breaking any laws. No. This is going to be our Stages of a Breakdown listening guide. If you don't know, my name is Grace, but I make music under my middle name, which is Semler. And this is... Yes? Who are you? Oh, I'm the wife of Semler. Mm-hmm. That's and so all it I am. kind of make that's all you are. That's all all you do. It's what you're known for. Yeah. You're you're known mm-hmm. known wife of Semler. And we figure since we have the inside scoop, we might as well just break down this project that I promoted or what well, I released it and then I like was out of town. i I'm kind of promoting the project almost retroactively now. Yeah, we're still we're still hyping it up. It's so worth hyping up. It's such a good EP and I feel like you have just been so busy this spring that you're continuing to roll it out even though it's been out for about 6 weeks now. Wait, yeah. It's been out for Wait, no, less. Just about a month. Yeah. It's been out for about mm-hmm. a month, but I really want to do a listening guide. We did it for Late Bloomer, so let's do it for stages. Before we get into that, we do have some hot and steamy breaking news. If you listened to last week's episode, which I certainly hope you did, then you will be aware that we are celebrating this Pride Month by asking the important question, which is, was there gay sex on the the Titanic? Will someone... Please be brave and step forward and say that you found a secret journal from your family member who was like on the Titanic or something or knew someone that was on the Titanic and reveal to us that indeed there was um, steamy kink on board the Titanic. That's what we're trying to find out this Pride Month. That's our theme. We do not. (laughs) That's. That's what we believe in. Um, born this way, born this gay on the Titanic is what I'm trying to discover, learn, uncover. It's all I think about. It consumes me. I will not go down with this ship. <laughs> there will be no white flag above my door. <laughs> and we don't, right now, we do not have any word from any Titanic ancestry. No. Although, so the episode Grace is speaking of where we first bring up this gay on the Titanic theme. MTV um, True Life, I was gay on the yeah. Titanic. That episode has actually not gone live yet as of the time we're recording. So when uh-huh. you're hearing this episode, the episode where we reference Titanic yeah. will have already been out. But as we're recording it, it hasn't been out yet yeah. because we're recording early. Right. And so we don't know if anyone has sent us any tips. But in the meantime, we did a little bit we of research. We did do some research. And I at first thought that I'm I... I'm excited to tell you. Yeah, so at first I thought I found a really important um, book that may provide... <laughs> some information about this so i look into it and i see well yeah say the title right away the book comes up it says it's called titanic the untold tale of gay passengers and crew so you read that out loud to me as i'm editing the podcast and i'm like oh my gosh this is amazing i was like there i knew it the gays were at the titanic like let's go i was literally like i should order the book right of course yeah so (laughs) there aren't much on this but clearly it looks like it has an interesting cover the cover is like a photo of the titanic except the smokestacks are rainbow (laughs) um 
And it's also... And there is a rainbow flag being flown from the Titanic. Yes. And so when you look at it, it looks like, I would say, nonfiction. The only... Okay, the only thing that kind of tells me that there's something going on with this book is the fact that the font they used is Impact, which is like the meme font. It's like the type of font that they put memes in. Yes. So that, to me, was a bit of a red flag. So then I noticed that there are 16 ratings on Amazon. It has 3.6 stars, so some mixed reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 3.6 is pretty good. Yeah, it's not terrible, except for the fact that there's only 16 ratings. So, like, the reviews are all over the map. Mm -hmm. The first review just says this. Awesome. Okay. Reviewed in the United States on February 15th, 2020. All it says. The second review says not for historians <laughs> that's where i get my first hint that this may not be nonfiction, and it is indeed fictionalized okay uh okay so this review says i am a titanic geek i was expecting more historical accuracy <laughs> this is a collection of sex scenes with some references to actual people dot 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 not that there's anything wrong with that yeah, there's not at <laughs> there's all. Not. But but we're learning, we're getting more information. Like, all right, this is not actually an historical account of the gays at the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, so the next review, one star. Not what I expected. <laughs> not what I wanted to read. Please save yourself the cost of this book. Get in the car and go to the local XXX bookstore to purchase something else. See, this review is confusing, though, because... So we're gathering... All right, so this is erotica. We're right. starting to realize fictional erotica that takes place on board the titanic yes I'm but like in. the fact that this person says not what i expected save yourself the cost and go to the local xxx bookstore that's what they call it right it gives me pause is this person saying like this isn't what i expected because i wanted better erotica yeah that's what i get from that interesting they okay. were like this person was like too much history okay this person says four stars <laughs> not for everyone so it says this is an erotic novelette <laughs> describing in graphic detail the sexual trysts the author imagines occurred below deck between the poor working men and rich male passengers aboard the, quote, Titanic on its maiden voyage. If you aren't familiar with gay erotic books, don't buy this book. <laughs> However, if you enjoy gay erotic works, buy away. Parentheses. Suggest you look up the definition of smegma before you oh start God. your reading. All right, so this is not a sapphic book. I was hoping no. that there could be some a sapphic romance on board the Titanic, but I see not. Here's a, a one star. To call this book a waste of time and money is an understatement. If I could file a lawsuit to get back my time, I would do so. I have seen better writing on a bathroom wall. If the intention was to write pornography, then that is what was done here. But it is not, but it is not even good pornography. Can pornography be written? Yeah, totally. Doesn't ography indicate like photography, videography, right, Maybe I was wrong. Who knows? I don't think pornography can be written, but anyway. Is this author in the seventh grade? Because that is how this book was written. I'm sorry I bought it. Okay. I would just like to point out something about that reviewer. Here's the thing with a book. Like a book, you are making a proactive choice to continue I reading. Know. It's not like you're like trapped in a room with a movie playing like... You clearly read it. Like, you you enjoyed it enough to finish reading it, sir, if it was, like, that egregious. I'll just read a couple more reviews. Okay. <laughs> this one sounds like somebody has a kink of dying on the Titanic. Okay. Well-written, very sexy, and realistic. <laughs> Great book. Thoroughly enjoyable. The attention to detail was excellent and made you feel like you were on the ill-fated liner. Oh, gosh. Four stars. <laughs> this is one last four-star review i am rarely shocked but this novel shocked me don't get me wrong i liked it but i was not (laughs) expecting erotic fiction like this when i ordered the book it was silly played with the facts but passed a very entertaining evening well i love it for that person at least they're being honest they're like listen i read the whole thing was this the historical account of gay people on the titanic (laughs) that i was hoping for this pride month no it was not yeah. Well, I, the author's gay too, so that well, that looks like good. It says Jack hope. Fritcher, emerging from the gay past, exists both now and in the future as a pioneer participant in gay culture and as a critic, chronicling analytical witness to that his- history. I think he wrote this himself. This is a very bad sentence. I, he is doesn't... the double jointed. I'm sorry. Go back. 
He is the double-jointed author of literary fiction as well as erotic fiction, including four novels, five fiction anthologies, three nonfiction books, and two produced plays. He is also the director and videographer of 170 feature videos. I wonder what kind of videos we're talking. A Gemini born June 20th, 1939. He has balanced twin careers in literature and erotica often recumbent recumbently but recumbently Sick. gemini yeah is a gem this all this kind is of like a up. grandfather though at this point yeah good for jack good for him good for and him. if you're interested we will include in the show notes what is it what's the title of the book again lady it is called titanic the untold tale of gay passengers and crew and if you have any intel on the actual gay passengers that probably did exist on the titanic please write to us at under our roof pod at gmail.com with that being said let's jump into this week's episode which is going to be a listening guide to stages of a breakdown so let's begin where the ep begins with you're not my friend Natural disaster just so you could go and ruin my day Fuck's sake Like if I'm really such a heathen Why can't you just say the hell out my way Oh, I pray that Jesus Christ is revealed to you one day You'd say the same And text me back with ice inside your veins I'm burning up Thank God I know that Bullshit isn't love Cause you're not my friend And I think you fucking know it You're embarrassed and it's showing Yeah, you talk your shit in private I go public, you don't like it God is amazing And your church is crazy Fuck off to your worldview And scary bad song in the shower when I was really kind of frustrated. I think I was like doing chores. I write a lot of songs and I'm kind of like fuddy-duddying around the house. Well, I think maybe it'd be good to start by saying that 
most of this EP was written in about 48 hours. Yeah. And it was right around Christmas. We're getting ready to go see your family. Yeah. So we were flying, I forget which day, but like a few days before the 25th, um, we flew to Raleigh with Bean. And it was on the plane. It was like the day before we left and on the plane and like the first day at my parents' house, you pretty much wrote the whole thing. Yeah. I wrote outro when we got back to LA. Yeah. Because I remember true. writing that at the baggage claim. Yes, but, but I, I mean, but I was writing a lot while we were traveling. Yes, and I remember you um, going through my dad's office at my parents' house because he has like a couple guitars in there mm-hmm. to find a guitar to be able to play and practice and like go through yeah. the songs on. Yeah, so I started writing this because I really was kind of going through the process of grieving, but I think there's also a process of anger and heartbreak. It's it is I mean, would you consider heartbreak to be like part of the grieving process, part of the mourning process? Do you think that's what it is? Cuz I think that's what I was really going through. I mean, it depends on what kind of grief you're experiencing, but I think heartbreak can definitely be part of it. Yeah, cuz that's kind of what it felt like. I remember like when the when this friend reached out and we had this back and forth about the same old song and dance about, you know, her beliefs about who I am and also how it has impacted my songwriting and how I grapple with it in my songwriting. It's not really anything new. I'm I'm sure y'all are already kind of familiar with this. And part of my process was like getting annoyed with the phrasing, I was, I was just really kind of at my breaking point of all the like lovey-dovey language that was sandwiched around or sandwiched over actions and boundaries that were not loving. Well, yeah. And it's like, it's so frustrating when somebody wants to be able to claim the good parts of something without putting in the work for that. So I mean, like, I'm always going to be your friend. And it's like, but you have done nothing to be a friend to me. Like you just saying, I'm your friend. Like, I'm always going to have love for you. I'm always going to be your friend is utterly meaningless unless there's something of substance behind it. Right. And I think that this song was me sort of expressing that for the first time and what i what i like about the creative process especially like almost when you're sort of sifting through i think of it as like a a sculptor and you're trying to like chip away like Mm -hmm. what is the idea like what i that's how i kind of feel with when i write sometimes i'm like what am i feeling here and i sometimes it'll take me a bunch of different songs to almost circle in on exactly get a better picture of really what i'm trying to capture what is that feeling what am i mm-hmm. really trying to understand cuz songwriting for me is all just about understanding and processing and it, i remember like doing these chores taking a shower and just in this like folk punk type of way being like, you're not my friend. You're not my friend. I was Mm -hmm. singing it like that. I was playing it like that in my head. And when I had that chorus and I was like, this is pretty catchy. I was like, I already hit up Zach to be like, listen, I'm traveling. I'm going to see Lizzie's family for Christmas, but as soon as possible, can I get some studio time? Cause I have some ideas and I didn't even know what the rest of the project was then, but I just kind of knew I was like, all right, my brain's on fire. So I'm probably going to write a lot of music in a short period of time. And then we landed in Raleigh and I did find your dad's guitar in his office and I tuned it and everything and your sweet mom and it's Christmas. So it's like <laughs> beautiful Christmas house that's all been decorated and everything. And your mom was like, oh, like I'm hanging out for the day and Lizzie, you were working. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm actually working through a song. Um, I, I know this is super weird, but if it's possible, I really want to get some sort of a voice note recording. I kind of want to figure out what the chords are for the song because I, I was only hearing it in my head at this point. I hadn't figured out what the chords were. Your mom's there with like a tea or a coffee mm-hmm. or something like, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Like pretend like I'm not even here. Like <laughs> just, yeah, play it away, play away, whatever it is. I don't know what type of a song she was expecting, but it probably was <laughs> not You're Not My Friend, which is like, and I think you fucking know it. You're embarrassed and it's showing. And she's like, that's lovely. Like she was being so sweet. And then, so I, I figured out what the chords were. They were super simple. And I bring it to Zach and I started like playing it for him. And again, one of my favorite things that happens always 
always happens when you bring someone a song is that Zach heard something totally different. And he was like, I was playing it super hard, like this folk punk way, which again, maybe we'll do that cover at some time. But he was like, these words are so pointed and specific. What if the production was just sugary sweet? Because Mm -hmm. the notion of like friendship, like you're not my friend. What if we dressed it up almost? Like what if we put a little bow on this sentiment and it really did perfectly capture that sort of like pettiness that I was feeling. It captured that frustration, I think, almost better than if I'd gone like the folk punk route. I almost think that that would have been too obvious of a choice Mm -hmm. for the first release. Yeah, I love the vision that Zach brought to that song. I think it's like super breezy and fun. And then as it later turned out, it was a very cool inspiration for visuals and for a music video too to Mm -hmm. have it be this like preppy lighthearted kind of video but it actually is also symbolic in a meaningful way because of this friend was very tied to like a country club situation right the blue hill country club is a real place uh i don't know who all is i'm not a member but there was a time when a bunch of us growing up were all like members there through our families i feel like you should explain the Blue Hill Country Club is in Blue Hill, Maine, which you may know Grace grew up in Waterloo, Belgium, but your family has- My mom's side of the family. Yes. Grace's mom's side of the family has deep ties in Maine, and some of your family still lives in Maine. It's where we would go for like yeah. family reunions and stuff, and so that's where we would all hang out. So the Blue Hill Country Club and like golf course, tennis is where I think of a lot of those- foundational summers and a lot of quality time was spent there and there is sort of this uh i don't know what it is it's like this like polite society of like don't let people know that it would be weird if people knew that the reason why grace and i aren't friends anymore is because i'm homophobic and so there was that side of me that was just like i'm gonna tell like you know that there's that petty side of me that's like oh that would be bad for you i'm gonna tell like i'm I mean, we can move on to the next song soon, but I i mean, it's just so like, it just pisses me off so much because we would hear secondhand that like this friend who is saying to you, well, I just don't believe that God like intends for you to get married to Lizzie basically would then be running into Grace's family members in this small town in Maine and like acting like everything's fine. Right. And it's like, you've got to be hitting me. Yeah. A few Easter eggs in the video, the point where it says Blue Hill Country Club, is a friend of mine from growing up who also used to run around in that crowd, my friend Connor. Uh, Basically, I was like, can you come to the North Hollywood Park for one shot? And he rolled Mm -hmm. through and he, you know, he's been privy to everything that's been happening and he's been super supportive. So I thought that was kind of fun. And then the role of um, the friend was actually played by my best friend, Darren. Who would never. Who would never. And also was with me as I was receiving some of these text messages. Darren happened Mm -hmm. to be over that night. And then at the end of the video, you see Jax Anderson pull me off Darren, which is funny because Jax directed the video, but also produced um, many of the, I mean, creative directed and was part of production on every single one of the songs. So there are a lot of little Easter eggs in there. And we tried to get Zach in the video, but it just didn't end up working out. But Zach's got to come for a video at some point in time. Oh, no. What's going on with Bunny? Bunny's like reverse sneezing, I think. Is she okay? Yeah. She looks fine. You know how dogs do that sometimes? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Don't Tell Anyone. down. You don't want to cause a scene. You don't want to be the reason that we're asked to leave. So pipe down, pipe down. Take a damn apology. Like you're not the only one of us who's losing sleep. And I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry you're mad. Why you gotta run your mouth like that?
when I wrote Don't Tell Anyone, but I do remember messing around with the chords that ended up in Don't Tell Anyone for months before they ended up in a song. I just, there there was some sort of combination of those chords that I really liked a lot. And I just found myself coming back to them, but not knowing how they fit. And then Don't Tell Anyone, I think I wrote... I mean, it must have been around that same time at the piano. I don't, I, that kind of happened with Jesus from Texas too. I don't remember recording Jesus from Texas almost at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember really writing Don't Tell Anyone that much aside from the Don't Talk About the Money, I Shouldn't Let It Run Me. I remember working on with you in the kitchen. Yeah, I remember that too. I remember you like had the structure of the song and you had a couple of the verses written and then you needed another verse that was kind of telling a bit more of the story and using the same structure that you'd already written. And then I was helping you come up with some of the words for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the song so much. Like I, rem- I mean, I was there from the beginning when you were still writing the words. But then when you were in the studio, I just remember you texting me like, oh, my gosh, like Zach and I are turning this into something so good. And it really is just like, I think it's definitely a standout of all your music. I would say. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like my favorite one from the EP because I can't pick a favorite, but it's just special. I think it's so cool that you did the dance music video. I It's just like an excellent, catchy, great song. I remember bringing it to Jax and Jax helped me build out the tempo and the drum beat and like basically building out a lot of the song so that I think that when we brought it to Zach, we were just doing mixing and listening for moments. No, no, no. We we re-recorded all the vocals. I was actually kind of a diva with my vocals. Jax was like, no, we should just keep the demo vocals that you use because that's super raw and I really like that. But I really wanted to get a good, smooth vocal take. And what I like about the vocals on Don't Tell Anyone is that I'm not pushing at all. So for a while, I was singing it like I was really trying to to push and like belt in certain areas. And we just had the idea like it actually sounds a lot better if you're just really flowy, like not pushing, barely exerting anything mm-hmm. on the song because you can kind of like ride the the beat yeah a bit more i agree it's like you're not my friend is very breezy and this one is like kind of comes off of that and it's it's a different sound it's more upbeat and kind of poppy but it's it's not like rock at all either 
I intentionally didn't want it to sound like a typical Semler song mm-hmm. as well thus far because I wrote it from the perspective of my friend. Oh, yeah, that's And important. yeah, I think that's kind of crucial. And it's an exercise that I do a lot when I'm trying to understand something, when something's really confusing that's out of my control. Sometimes I like to just to try and make sense of it from that other perspective. And that's what I was trying to do with Don't Tell Anyone. Okay, next up we have 20s. You couldn't wait to leave your 20s Growing up just left you blue 29, it's time for babies Any guy from church will do Honey, I'll never blame you For the forks you choose definitely one of my favorites i'm gonna always say that about basically every song but i really mean it and 20s is just gorgeous it's such a good song i can't remember exactly when i started writing 20s this is gonna be such a theme with me of like i don't remember when i wrote this song like i don't know how it happened i was in an emotional blackout i was in an emotional blackout and then this song happened but i do remember that i had the first verse and the first chorus done when darren came over that fateful night when there was i didn't know what ahead of time, but there was going to be a text exchange from hell. And when Darren came over, we ordered food and I was like, oh, can I play you the song I've been working on? And I played her the first verse and the chorus of 20s because I think things between the friend and I were like already spiraling, but they weren't as bad as they were about to get that Mm -hmm. night. So I played Darren that song and I remember Darren was like that, like, that's good. And Darren has been 
listening to my music and cheering me on since before I even knew Lizzie. Like when Darren and I met, I would privately play her my songs and, you know, tell her a little bit about what I wanted to do with music and just all these like pipe dreams and whatever. And Darren has, yeah, gosh, she's lived through some really bad songs. And sh- and so I like to uh, remember those moments when a song clicks and I think it's like a good song or at least certainly better than the shit that I was throwing at her when we were like 18. And I remember playing her that song. So it's very cool that it's kind of had a second life since Jimmy Butler shared it on his story. And since Apple Music has featured it on a number of their like high profile playlists, it's been very, very cool to remember that it was a song that I played at Darren in my living room before we like got high and watched Twilight or something. (laughs) So it's cool to see like the journey that a song can go on. That song is really written from my perspective. And I, intentionally placed it after don't tell anyone to try and get the whole story out there of like all right this is maybe what she's thinking and then 20s is like what i'm thinking and the questions that i have that will probably remain unanswered and an easter egg for 20s is during the musical interlude um where it's just some cool guitar and some western uh tambourine because we didn't have a snare that's not a snare drum it's like zach tapping like a tambourine oh, with i his didn't fingers. even know that yeah there's no there's no drummer on that song it's just me and zach being weird with microphones and a tambourine <laughs> you can hear zach screaming in the background how long will you run until you come back home that's zach yeah oh my god i, I really well because I, you know, Zach and Jax are just two people that I'm so fond of. When you find collaborators that you really can be vulnerable with and that you click with that just make making music so fun and cathartic. I wanted his voice on the record. I had Jax's voice because Jax, Jax and I are talking at the end of You're Not My Friend. Jax mm-hmm. sings on Raise Up. Like mm-hmm. Jax is all over vocally a bunch of my projects. Jax is on Prodigal Girl, but yeah. Zach his voice isn't on there it's funny and i was like you got to get something on i was like i think it would really be cool especially given the tension of this moment in the song and zach has a doom metal band called jurassic witch if anyone's interested in checking out his doom metal honestly their shows are pretty nuts if you're ever in la and you want to see a weird show i got him to scream like he did on jurassic witch in the very background you can hear me like how can you Mm -hmm. hear it yeah how long will you run till you come back up yeah very fun i feel like you can hear it yeah i tried to get him to do it at the troubadour at the live show i don't know if he did i was Uh, also in an emotional blackout that night honestly same next song is raise up bring me your weak your weary bring me your strange and cold i come for hope and healing that you won't feel alone so raise up, raise up, raise up. So raise up, raise up. So raise up, raise up, raise up. I have told you that I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm just a sign.
Raise Up, I was writing almost around the exact same time as You're Not My Friend. So two very different headspaces while I was showering and doing chores and packing, getting ready to go to Raleigh. I was processing this back and forth with the friend in two ways. One, the petty way, which is You're Not My Friend. And then the probably more constructive way is reminding myself that this person and their views are not indicative of what an almighty and loving creator thinks of me. And the way that I was reminding myself about that to just sort of keep my head up to literally raise up my head and adjust my posture and not slump down and feel so downtrodden because of this circumstance, despite how heartbreaking it is, is to remind myself that I believe in unconditional, all-powerful, mysterious love And that was taught to me through a Christian tradition. And while I do not want to ignore the fact that this tradition has also been disproportionately harmful to vulnerable and marginalized communities, it has also been a tradition that has taught me a great deal of comfort and love. And to tap into that, especially in the face of someone spouting hate in the name of that same creator, and that God, for me, is love is boundless love, and that that's always available to me when I feel like overwhelmed with someone just like coming at you and using the same sort of language that I say to the sky as I'm praying in ways that are just hurtful. That's what I wrote with that song. And I was so self-conscious about it. I didn't even want to play it for Jax because I was like, it's too worshipy. And I don't want ever for anyone to listen to my music and get that sinking feeling that I sometimes get when I hear worship songs of like, this is so corny and manipulative, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't the place that I wrote it from. Like I wrote it almost as like a lullaby to myself. And that's why the chords are so simple. I'm like almost embarrassed about that song because the chords, it's like C, A minor, G. Like it's Mm -hmm. super, super simple. I love that song. It's the lyrics are really, really beautiful. And you should definitely not be embarrassed. I was so nervous that it sounded like Hillsong. It doesn't. I genuinely don't feel like it sounds like that. I feel like it's a little more kind of like raw and homespun sounding, which I really like. Yeah, I think the other benefit too is I remember bringing it to Zach and Jackson in the studio and I was like, listen, this is the song. These are the chords. I feel strongly that this is part of this story because all of Stages of a Breakdown is a complete story. And this was very much a part of that is like in the face of receiving these text messages that were just like making me really sad, it actually did inspire me to check in with my faith. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's part of the story. So let me tell that part of the Mm -hmm. story. But I was like, we are not on a Christian label. We're not on any label, baby. We're independent. We can make whatever weird sounds we want. Like, Zach, you have this weird bass synth sound that you want to use. Lay it down, baby. Mm -hmm. Like, get weird with it. Jax and I can just be like yelling. We, we, wrapped these vocals at like 3am or 4am, we can make this song kind of slap and aggressive and cathartic in a way that sometimes Christian music is not able to do because they have stipulations on like how churchy they have to be and like how palatable do they need to be in a Lifeway Christian bookstore. But we don't have that. So I do think that we were able to like be a bit more experimental in the production of the song, but it is the closest thing to a traditional worship song that I've ever produced and that I may ever produce. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Because for me, it's like, if someone asks me my theology, I can just play them that song. 
Be like, there it I is. Love that. There it is. Yeah. Last song on this project, this EP or mixtape, I sort of affectionately call it because it's really just a mixtape that I wrote for one person, <laughs> is outro. One day we'll meet again. I think it could be easy if both of us were ready. One day we'll meet again. I hope we'd fast food and drink good wine. Catching up over all the lost time. And if we don't. Like they canceled your favorite show I am frozen Monochrome Just a thing you love They told you to let go calling the song one day we'll meet again i ended up just calling it outro doesn't really have a full song structure feels like an outro feels like a parting thought for me i think it feels like a parting thought but it's a very complete thought and i find myself wanting to replay outro just driving around because it has such a culmination Mm -hmm. with the sound i really love it yeah i wrote this one at the lax baggage claim after we'd come back from Raleigh. So mm-hmm. I guess our timeline doesn't match up. I guess it wasn't all written in 48 hours, but, but it, it was, was written like, in a very condensed period of time. Yeah. Well, also, it is an outro. Like, I don't even know if you thought... I remember you deciding later, yeah, like at the end of that trip, like, I think the EP will need an outro. Yeah, that I wanted to have a final thought of going through all these feelings that my final thought of the project is not one of, you're not my friend. Mm-hmm. Listen, that is a healthy normal, valid feeling to have when going through this. But I always try and emphasize, you don't need to stay there. And I I like outro because that's kind of more of the place that I'd like to stay, which is that someday we could meet again. We will meet again. And if the circumstances are right, I think it could be really easy to love and forgive each other mm-hmm. and be open to meeting again. But if we don't, this is just a heartbreak in our lives. Yeah. And that's kind of how life goes. And I'll miss her and she'll miss me. And the reason why we'll be missing each other is so stupid. (laughs) It's so stupid. But it's possible that we could just reconnect over some fast food and wine and laugh about all the years that we just decided to not be friends. I mean, to be clear, I didn't decide any. I'm just gay. I like to remind myself that I didn't do anything wrong. I understand that her perception is going to be different, especially after this project. <laughs> I'm sure well, yeah. she's going to be like, you did it now, bitch. But like, I all I did was be gay and and live. <laughs> and then once you were persecuted for that, then say I, it. Say it. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, you, do, you did it now. 
The cool thing that I want to point out about Outro and how it ties into You're Not My Friend and why I like to refer to the project as a mixtape is that you'll notice there's that whirring sound at the very beginning of You're Not My Friend. That is a um, Mellotron that we kind of just looped and made it whir. And I like to think that it sounds like the opening credits of like I Love Lucy when the circle on the screen goes big to intro Mm -hmm. a show. It's like, woo, like that whir sound for You're Not My Friend. And so that's the beginning of this tape. That's the first stage of this breakdown. And then at the very end of outro, you hear that buzzing sound and you hear like Zach's messing with his pedals. Like he's just pushing his pedals all the way to their brink. And that's almost the sound of like the tape running out. Like that's the Mm -hmm. end of that story. So I like to think of it as this, this very brief, but complete picture of of a breakdown on tape. And that's why I like to think of it as a mixtape. And I don't want to make you crazy, but we do have a video for Raise Up figuring out exactly the best way to release it. But it is a, a video that Jack's shot. I mean, I can't say enough about the creative force and genius that is Jax Anderson. She just does everything. She I know, it's crazy. helped me write Raise Up. She recorded outro. She helped me. I mean, she's just all over this. And then Zach as well. Like I, I, Zach Fisher, Jax Anderson. I'm so thankful for them as friends and as collaborators. Incredible forces, just forces for good. Yeah. <laughs> at least in my life. They are. And Jax shot a video for Raise Up at the Troubadour, and hopefully we'll be releasing that. And if you haven't seen all the music videos that we have for this project, there are only two, but we're going to link them in the show notes. They're so good. And there's about to be a third. And there's about to be a I third. I mean, there's only five, six songs. Yeah, we could do a video for 20s, too. Yeah, I think you totally should. I mean, after the Jimmy Butler of it all. There you go. If you missed that, Jimmy Butler shared my song on his story. He's a basketball player. He's a very, he's a six-time NBA All-Star who's currently, well, I, I don't know why the time this comes out, but hopefully, I think he's going to be in the NBA Finals. Probably in the NBA Finals, and one of my mom's favorite players likes my song. Yeah, he shared it. Yeah. So it was fun. I just love this project so much. I'm so proud of you. I seriously listen to it in my car all the time, just like by myself. It's so good. So enjoy listening or re-listening. Watch the music videos and... I'm sure there'll be new music before too long, too. Thanks for all your support on this project. There will be new music before too long. I already have ideas. I can't wait to get back into the studio and record again. And I, I'm just so excited that I I get to make stuff as frequently as I get to make stuff. And then I get to share it with you. And then we get to talk about it. And whatever these songs mean for you, whatever their meaning has become, however you interpret them, it's important for me to say that that's so real and so valid and this is maybe an insight into how i wrote the songs but the beautiful thing is that they don't belong to me anymore this project belongs to you and whatever your ideas are of the songs of my music that's what it is that's what's true so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week on under our roof my sweet old-fashioned babe my sweet old-fashioned babe